Hey, Alex here. Before we jump into today's recording, I wanted to remind you that all of the information in this recording is for informational and educational purposes only. The information shared should not be construed as investment or tax advice. Please consult a competent financial or tax professional to discuss your situation before using any of the strategies or topics that we discuss here. Thanks for listening. One other quick thing before we get started today. If you're thinking about starting a business or if you already have one, I wanted to tell you about the accounting software that we use for our clients, Zero. That's X-E-R-O, and you can find them at www.zero.com. I have used other accounting platforms in the past for clients, but Zero bar none is the best accounting platform out there. I have had clients come to me after bringing them to Zero. And they have told me that they felt empowered to use the platform after seeing their simple user interface. Zero's slogan is beautiful business, which represents Zero's thriving business technology platform and global community. Beautiful business highlights the power of Zero's powerful accounting platform and community supporting small businesses to help them work past the chaos, uncertainty, and stress to reclaim valuable time and thrive. Over the last five years, I have used Zero exclusively with our clients, and I have met some amazing people at that company. People are always friendly and are always ready to help when it's needed. Whether you're just getting started or are a thriving company, Zero has the tools you need to help keep your accounting records straight, reduce time each month associated with doing the backend bookkeeping, and helps you track KPIs with their powerful reporting tools. Check them out at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O. I didn't. I stopped watching cartoons as a child. What are you trying to say? I'm not saying anything. What are you trying to accomplish here with that with that discourse? Good sir. All right. Taxes. <laughs> Speaking of which, taxes and broken glass. Let's go. Yeah. So before we started recording, Alex broke an entire glass bottle. And that has delayed us <laughs> by about 25 minutes. So I think that was just his ploy to get out of talking about taxes. <laughs> yeah, man. Like the deadline was yesterday for filing taxes. Come on. No, yeah. So you're, I, you're, you're all like burnt out from, uh, from taxes. No, not burnt out. I mean, it's like, it's like one of those things where it's like, you know, with tax season generally, you know, in a normal year when it's not pandemic COVID stuff, like you generally like the deadline is April 15th, right? Mm-hmm. For individuals, everyone knows April 15th, but what a lot of people don't know is that um, you know, for partnerships and for uh, S corporations, the deadline is March 15th, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a rule that says with the S corps and partnerships, you get issued a form called K-1 or K-1. And those have to be issued at least 30 days in advance of the deadline for the individuals uh, to go out and to have the time to do that and make sure that there's time to make sure that they get the forms so they can add those forms into their tax returns. So, uh, you know, with because of COVID, you know, usually you have a three-month extension uh, on filing your taxes. Um, but because of the pandemic stuff this year, they gave everybody six months on the extension. So instead of expanding out the deadline, like what everyone had last year, you had three months extension. Everyone got until July 15th because of the pandemic last year. 
but they do. And, and then if you still file an extension, you still had until October 15th for individuals to file last year. Instead wow. of just having the deadline be changed this year, they just gave everybody six months who for anybody that filed an extension for businesses and for individuals. So it's uh, we, we get a, a, th- a three month reprieve <laughs> before we do it again. Break. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not like, out. It's, just, it's just like, you know, like, you know, for accountants and, and tax stuff, you know, we, we go into our career thinking that at most we'll be spending six months doing this, not nine months. And, you know, it, it's, it's, there's nothing wrong with it every year. We, we know what we're doing. We know what we, what we expected, but sometimes it, it just, it also gives other individuals the excuse to not to get off their butt and you know kind of send things in or get things done i just picture you last night by the candlelight closing the notebook being like i'm I'm all done with taxes and then i'm like oh we got to talk about taxes on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) and then you and then that's when your hand knocks the glass bottle off the table and you're like oh no (laughs) very uh very dramatic uh yeah alex is alex is a very dramatic person no i i I would say knowing you for the past five years you were not uh shy about uh talking about taxes Uh, i know that's something that is like your bread and butter it's in your wheelhouse um it's something that I'm trying to learn more about. And I think I kind of pitched this idea of just like, you know, the average Joe or Jane or whatever, or know, Sally or Sally, whatever your name is, <laughs> average Declan, you know um, what I, I wanted to put together uh, something for our listeners where we could just talk about all the different things that affect individual taxation from, from a normal uh, individual standpoint. I th- we'll record another podcast about uh, self-employment because I think that's a different, um, mm-hmm. that's a whole different ballgame right there. But just for, you know, for me, for average people, maybe with family or they're singled or, or whatnot, um, I know there's a big, there's a big list, but it's not uh, an impossible list to understand, right? Uh, of these things that affect how much we are taxed. <laughs> yep. Um, so I don't know if how, how you want to structure this. I don't know if we do like a little little checklist. Um, yeah, which, let's, go through, uh, let's go through the checklist. Yeah, and we'll we'll write this up. I'll, I'll write this up and put it on the on simplefiscal.com uh, with the podcast. But cool. I figured let's get some sound bites going. Awesome. Let's go ahead and do it. So first things first how much money you make, right? Um, Determines which tax bracket you fall into. I don't know if you know them off the top of your head, um, but what are the typical tax brackets that I'd say the majority of middle-class people fall into? Well, that's a bit of a loaded question with a lot of response because, (laughs) well, it it depends because, you know, there's, um, there's a lot of things that affect what is considered income. Right. First of all, so like, you know, you have earned income, you have capital gain income. Like if you buy a stock at $5, it goes to $7. You have capital gain income. Um, Those are taxed differently uh, than standard earned income. Like, so you have like investment income and you have earned income and you have different types of income buckets. Right. But the, the, the vast majority of people fall into what's the standard earned income. Like you have a W2 salary every year, you get a salary every year from your employer the end of the year, you get a W-2 that summarizes all the income and the taxes that were withheld from for you. 
uh, you know, speaking, living in a vacuum, assuming you have no dependents, assuming you're not married, you know, you're young, you're just single, you're doing your thing. You have one job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have to make that, like, say, I, I use the word living in a vacuum because like <laughs> to make the point work, you have to, because there's so many things that affect it that are nuanced with tax. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of nuanced things in tax law and tax, you know, the tax code itself, but assuming that you're young, that you're individual, you're single, you're, you're not married and you're earning, you know, 50,000 a year, let's say you would be in what's called a, a marginal tax bracket of either 20 or 22%, depending on what other side of whatever, whatever side of the $50,000 mm-hmm. per year that you land on. Um, I forget exactly where that bracket ends off the top of my head. I'm not looking at it, but and I use the word marginal tax bracket because marginal is very important because there's a difference between marginal and effective tax rates, yeah. right? So the United States uses a, a structured tax tiered system where whatever, if you're in a certain band or a certain range of income is your income is taxed at that percentage, right? So mm-hmm. say for example, like the lowest tax bracket, um, is you know like like not not the lowest but like one of the lowest tax brackets. I'm just trying to remember thought my head about looking at it is twelve uh, percent, right? So mm-hmm. like whatever income that you earn between like ten and twenty five thousand is taxed at twenty is taxed at twelve percent. Mm-hmm. Now, as soon as you go above twenty five thousand, let's say the next tax bracket is twenty percent, and uh, you say the tax bracket ranges from twenty five thousand one dollars to forty thousand. Great. Let's say you're earning. 30,000. So like, you're going to fill up the full, the full bracket or the full band for the 12%. And then you're going to be taxed at 20% on the 5,000 between 25,000 and $1 to $30,000. Right. So there's, you know, there's marginal tax brackets and there's effective tax, like marginal tax rates and effective tax rates. Because a lot of people that I speak to, if they don't have like a, if they're not in it every day, they're not watching it. They're not, they don't understand the mechanics of taxes. Mm -hmm. They think that, Oh, well, my salary is $55,000 a year. That means I'm getting taxed at 22%. That's not correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, you know, in in actuality, you would need to understand what your effective tax rate is. The effective tax rate is probably somewhere around 13 or 14%, not 22%. Right. So that's extremely important when you're doing, and let's just, you know, again, living in a vacuum, you don't have any, you know, income from investments or you know that stuff and you're just getting w2 salary income then that's that's where you that's where you are now there's also you know two is is the standard deductions and 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 those types of things but i think that's some somewhere else further down the list yes yeah i was gonna we we could just this could tailspin into many different things but yeah the marginal tax bracket is important to understand because the idea being you don't want to end up in the in for example, let's say there was no marginal tax bracket and the cutoff for the first band, like you said, is $25,000. Let's say you made $25,000 and $1 and then we're suddenly hit with 20% tax versus the 12% but tax. But on the $1. Would be, yeah, on the $1. Yeah, it would be really unfair in that situation. So we have a system now where it's there's the those different amounts, those different bands are taxed at the same rate as you go higher and higher. And we've seen things like if you keep going up, if you keep going up the list, we're like the super rich, it'll say something like, oh, they're taxed at 50% or something like that. It's, it's, it, it's yeah, like, like some still the... marginal. It's, it's, it's above those really high thresholds. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's yeah. not, it's marginal. It's not effective. Right. Because yeah. there's, there's been some things that come out like, you know, I'm sorry. I, I lean a bit more conservative. And if I lose people from listening to that and be saying that, I apologize. But like, 
you know, I, I see some politicians going to these massive art galas that were mm-hmm. in the news and they're saying tax the rich. I'm like, okay, hold up. So, you know, I'm not going to go full on politics or anything, but you know, like, it's kind of like, you know, that I saw that picture, but then also that has also coincided with a lot of pieces coming out this week and last week where people are saying, Oh, like, you know, your top marginal tax bracket is going to be 84% in New York. I don't think that's correct, but I'm saying it's some mm-hmm. absurd, obnoxious number where it's like, okay, yeah, like that's technically true. That's the marginal highest tax bracket, but like that's what not you're missing effective. there on the, it's not effective, right? Because yeah. it, it not effective to the point where it doesn't get the job done, but like it's not the effective rate is like the actual average rate that you are paying taxes on every dollar, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, if you're in the 12% tax bracket and you get a raise and you go up just marginally into the 20% tax bracket, your effective tax rate will be 12.01%. Yeah. right. Around because there. like, for example, like if you're getting 12%, you fill up the full bracket, you go to $25,001, you're going to get 22% tax on the $1, not, not, yes. you know, not on the right. full on the whole income that you have right so you're going to be your effective rate is 12.01 percent because that's the average rate now a lot of people make headlines about that because like conservatives and i i i hate i hate when conservatives do this too because i'm a little bit more conservative because i like you know business independence and less taxation Mm -hmm. but that's that's my primary reason but i also don't like don't like it when conservatives like pull that nonsense where it's like hey like you're gonna be paying 84 percent in taxes in new york come to florida (laughs) It's like, come on. <laughs> okay, like they're doing it just to get the attention, right? They're doing it to yeah. get the eyes, right? To get people looking mm-hmm. at it. But what you need to realize is like, it's actually the effective rate. I mean, it won't be 84%, but it'll still be a lot of money. Like it'll be, like, it be, be like probably around 45, 50%. Yeah. It's like when you factor in state income tax, municipal tax, and then city tax, and also federal tax, watch out. Like, yeah you're going to be paying a whole bunch of money in taxes uh, if you max out that much income. Yeah. Well, I'm assuming our listeners are, aren't, aren't in that top bands and if they are good for them, (laughs) (laughs) if they've gotten that far up, but um, I, I I know another thing you you just touched on, but um, deductions. So this Mm -hmm. is, this is the fun part. I use um, TurboTax when I'm doing my taxes. It's my favorite part, seeing that number like go down or, the number go up in, in terms of what I'm owed because I could just find more and more deductions. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the U.S. has made it kind of simple where there's kind of the the general deduction. So I'm married. Uh, we file jointly. So there's kind of like an automatic. Um, am I saying this right? There's kind of like an automatic deduction. I forget how much it was. I think it's 20. Like a standard deduction. Yeah, standard deduction. That way I don't have to go back through and itemize everything it saves me a lot of time. And I honestly, I'm not going to hit that, that whatever that standard deduction is, if it was more then I would itemize everything. Um, but there are other things that do change. For example, we have two kids dependents. How, how does having kids change, um, how you're taxed? Well, it changes, it changes a lot of things. Like I was actually talking to some individuals, uh, earlier this week about, um, you know, if you've taken a new job in the last two years, you might have realized that the uh, W-4 form that calculates your number of exemptions has changed, and it's an extreme pain to rear end. Um, 
to, to understand and to navigate to use. And it's, it's not very clear uh, what they're asking. But before 2018, the, the S4 form was to you know, calculate for exemptions. Mm-hmm. The exemptions, there's an inverse relationship between exemptions and deductions, right? So, or like, excuse me, and withholding. So, um, you know, the higher the number of the exemptions that you're claiming, the, num- the lower of the withholding you're going to have on every paycheck, right? That's right. So okay. there's an inverse relationship between those. There's also too, you know, with having kids, like you have the child tax credits, which uh, have more or less effectively will have had doubled um, mm-hmm. starting with this tax year, 2021. And that will be around for a period of time, which is nice. You know, the, like there's, it's really interesting how they're going to, how they're all doing these calculations, all these changes in the tax, all the COVID and stuff. But effectively what they're trying to do is they're trying to give you the payups or half of the, half of what you would have received as the credit mm-hmm. through the course of the year, through monthly payments. And then you get the other half at the end of the year on your tax return. So it's mm-hmm. really nice to have that, you know, being factored in. And, and you know, kind of like the idea is, you know, you have higher number of exemptions because you have kids. Like, just like for, mm-hmm. for every dependent that you claim on the return, you get one exemption. Or at least that's kind of like what the math was in the past. Yeah, and, that's what I thought. Uh, you know, now it's... Uh, it's, a, it's we'll need three episodes to explain what the hell they did to that darn form. I'm glad you brought that up because I um, filled out that form and I, 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 my wife and I, we still have no idea what we're supposed to put on that form. Like when she got her job and it's like, well, we have two kids. Do we put a two or three or what? And yeah. I, I knew there was something with the, the higher number you put, the less they withhold. Well, so you right. have to kind of expect your, your because taxes what, might, like, And, and might the reason owe. behind that is because you're getting child tax credits, right? Because yeah. like you're getting... And, and it's really important to make the distinction between a credit and a deduction. The credit oh, is call. a dollar for dollar reduction in your tax obligation. Right? Mm-hmm. So like if you make a thousand dollars and you're in the 12% tax bracket, you pay $120 in tax. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, living in the vacuum, very simple example. Yeah. But you're, you, and, and you have no standard deduction. You got nothing. You just, you're, you have, you have $120 tax bill. Great. Let's say you have a kid and the kid gives you a $60 tax credit. You get child tax credits and the tax credits are worth $60 per child. Well, then you now have a tax bill. When you do the return, you fill out the forms, you have a $60 tax bill, mm-hmm. not 120. Now, what's really important is with deductions is like, let's say you go back to the same example, you have a $1,000 income, 12% tax bracket. Again, we're doing this for really easy visualization purposes. Your, again, tax bill is $120, right? Mm-hmm. The 12% on a thousand is $120, yeah. right? So it, let's say it, you have some deductions. You have, we have standard deductions. Standard deductions are things that are, you know, kind of help offset what you would owe or what you would need to claim for income on your tax return. But like, let's just say, hey, uh, you have a deduction for, you had to drive to a conference once and the miles that you drove gave you a hundred dollar deduction. Great. Mm-hmm. So in that situation, what you would do actually now is you have a thousand dollars of income. You have the hundred dollars worth of miles that you drove for the for your conference. That is a deduction. So now your taxable income goes from a thousand dollars to nine hundred dollars, which now takes you down to like one hundred and ten dollars in tax bill. Mm-hmm. Right. Just so for everyone visualizing, there's a difference between tax credit, which is a dollar for dollar deduction in your taxes owed or taxes paid in or taxes that you have to pay up. Versus the deduction, which just reduces your actual income that's subject to taxation. Mm-hmm. That's right. Now, I know there's some ways to, so we have, we have dependents. Um, 
how how does file i mentioned i uh, married we file jointly how do why are there i mean i understand why there's like single but why is there other filing statuses such as married filing separately is there mm -hmm. advantages in, in those different situations different filing statuses in some cases yes um so i'll, I'll start with the easier one so there, there's something called qualifying widower Mm -hmm. And what that is, is effectively, let's say that you're married and your spouse passes away in the tax year for the current tax year. Like, let's say your spouse passes away. I'm sorry, you know, mm -hmm. terrible thing to happen, but your spouse passes away. And uh, with the standard deduction of the married filing joint tax attorney, you actually get to still use married filing jointly in the year that your spouse passes away to give you the benefit of the standard deduction to, you know, the IRS wants to kind of be a little bit nice and say, look, I'm sorry for your loss. Let me just deduct your income a little bit more this year because you're suffering, you're going through a hard time. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and then after, then the two years after that, then there's something called qualifying widower. So after mm -hmm. the year and the year that the spouse passes away, you can use uh, the qualifying widower for two years, which has a higher standard deduction than filing a single mm -hmm. and it helps you, you know, reduce more of your income for those two years. So yeah. you can still kind of get through that mourning process. You can still kind of get, move on and continue with your life. Um, so that's kind of like why that exists. Now there's another one called head of household, which is somebody, and you also get a higher standard deduction for that, but you, and uh, before I go there, it's really important with qualifying widower is that you cannot be remarried during that time frame. If you get remarried after the two years from when you get married, then you have to go back and go back and file as married filing jointly. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really important to keep note. You have to remain single during those two years to be able to have a qualifying widower status. Okay. Um, now, head of household, uh, you could go from either single or from qualifying widower to single, back to single again, or you could become head of household after that. And that kind of depends on if you're providing more than 50% of financial support to somebody in your, in your family, in your household. Mm -hmm. um, during that time. So you, you would have to, um, you kind of like make sure you're having all those paper, all that paperwork in place. And that's where the, you kind of head of household comes into play and you get one and a half times the individual standard deduction with that. Um, you know, with married filing separately, um, sometimes depending on tax strategy mm -hmm. overall, if you file separately, you can get, um, you can get like a, a lower overall tax depending on where the spouse earns the income. Like let's say you live in Florida, but your spouse earns income in California. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you could play the game where, you know, because there's no state income tax in Florida versus California, you file separately. You could, you know, try to offset some of that. Like there could be some games being played, you know, with the rules and stuff, obviously. Um, but you want to be careful, uh, you know, with that and, and kind of make sure that, you know, you're, you're, Try adjusting that properly, but the, there are situations where that is that is possible. Then you have single, then you have married filing jointly as well. All right, so so I, I've been I've been at least clicking or ticking off the right box, which seems like the most uh, straightforward one. But I knew there was yeah. a bunch of other options. I just but it is it is important to note actually too that if you marry filing jointly and you have uh, kids, that affects your child tax credits. Mm. So. Uh, it makes it much more difficult. And actually, I remember correctly, and don't quote me on it, kids. I'm not, I don't have the book in front of me at the time when I'm talking to you guys and this memory. But I believe, if, if I remember correctly, that you cannot claim child tax credits 
if you marry filing separately. So mm -hmm. you have to take that into consideration when you're okay. making those decisions as well. And, and speaking of kids, um, <laughs> on top of, you know, the, the exemptions, I know that there are, um, when my son was in daycare, we could use that child uh, dependent care expenses. Mm -hmm. I think that was a deduction, I believe. Yes. I just had so to, that, I had to save all the receipts. And then I think that lowered our, our, not our tax bill, but lowered our taxable income, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's correct. All right. <laughs> I, yep. do, I do remember some things. Yep. So like, um, there, there are things where you can do, where you can do that. Yes. Okay. And then the, and another thing um, around, well, I guess it could be around kids, um, education credits. I know that's mm -hmm. listed here. I know around uh, our student loans, we're able to deduct the interest on those loans. Yep. Is that only for student loans or is that for other, is that also for mortgages or? Yeah. So for student, for student interest loans, there's an income phase out with that. So um, income phase out is a term that we say um, when like, let's say you're married filing jointly. And this is a, again, where you, you might want to do married filing separately if you don't have kids, right? Like, because mm -hmm. you want to like, there's income phase outs, which we call AGI, adjusted gross income. And those phase outs depend on your filing status and a whole bunch of things. But effectively, if you're below that phase out, or like, let's say like the phase out number for, for married filing jointly is $150,000. Like if you and your spouse make $150,000 together jointly, Mm -hmm. Any, if you're below that number, you're like 149,999. You can claim the full amount of interest up to a limit every year that you're mm -hmm. paying on interest, right? Now, like let's say you're going, and now like let's say the law says there's a phase out period between 150,000 and 175, right? So whatever that percentage, percentage of 100 between the difference of 175 and 150, which is 25,000 you know, there's a phase out period. So let's say you have an income of 155,000. Great. So that's 5,000, 25, you know, 5,000 divided by 25 divided by 25 is 20%, right? So you would have a 20% phase out on the amount that you can exempt for, um, for education, educational loans for interest, right? So mm -hmm. you'll have like a, a phase out on that. Now, like, let's say if you're above 175,000, you get absolutely zero deduction or zero recognition for, 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 for the taxes paid um, for education, right? So like that's, that's important to kind of just keep in the back of your mind. That's kind of how that works. And then for mortgage interest, yes, uh, depending on, again, income and depending on a whole bunch of factors and scenarios, you can claim uh, deductions for uh, mortgage interest that's usually reported on form 1098. And uh, you can claim those as well. And I, I remember when my wife was in graduate school, there was, I think, education credits. That was some years ago. I don't know if it's changed. Um, I can't remember. Well, I guess it's in the word credit. Is, is it a direct credit if, if you're in school? Yeah. So there's or, the uh, American Opportunity Credit. And then there's also the Lifetime Earning Credit. So okay. Lifetime Learning Credit, excuse me. Um, and then you can, and depending on, on those two credits, those two, those two are still in existence. They're still, they still can be used. Yes. Okay. Um, the, um, depending on what your 
claiming for the expense for either room and board, for education, for scholarship, like, you know, for meals, whatever, depends on what you're going to use that for. And also if it's for undergrad or graduate, um, okay. you know, uh, learning that continue education. Okay. Um, what was the other ones I wanted to talk about? Um, this is more of, I don't know if this is more of a, uh, it's, it's, probably not a huge deal, but I, I, like I mentioned, I use TurboTax mentioning that not, we're not sponsored by TurboTax. Um, <laughs> I use it, but I know that there's a fee to use it. And I, th- I, and I think I've heard somewhere that that's, it's not technically illegal, but because there's, you, you're, you can submit electronically for free somehow, but TurboTax somehow gets around that, but you can use uh, tax filing as a deduction or something like that from the previous year, like whatever you paid, yeah. you can say, yep, I paid 140 bucks to send my tax or file yeah. my taxes. I mean, when, when you pay, when you pay an accountant to do uh, your taxes or to do your monthly accounting or for your personal and business, whatever, if you pay an accountant to do that, you can deduct that um, from, mm. from your, from your income. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge. My uh, yeah, link, is, I know my link is at the bottom of the, uh, <laughs> the article here. Um, I'm just joking guys. The, uh, you know, you, you can expense those items for sure. You know, mm-hmm. the, the nice thing with tax software and I, I use tax software because mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not like you send like in the midnight oil with, with a quill pen <laughs> filling out tax returns at three in the morning, <laughs> waiting for the Pony Express to drop off the mail here. So it's like, you know, we, we use tax software too, because it helps us make less mistakes too. Not saying that we do mm-hmm. make mistakes, but like it keeps us, you know, up to date because there's, there's things always changing. Right. And there's yeah. things like we might be thinking like, because we do so many tax returns, we might be thinking, Oh, well, it's like this, this year. And like, then the tax office is like, Hey, dummy, uh, this change, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> you're like, Oh yeah. Duh. I remember that now. And it, it just helps us not make mistakes, even though those are very rare and very far and few between, but it also makes sure that we fill out the forms appropriately, we fill mm-hmm. them out correctly. And then also it, you know, it also makes sure that the client gets the maximum refund or makes sure mm-hmm. that they have the minimum payment due and everything is, is in line with the expectation with, you know, with mm-hmm. that software that we, you know, that we, we do a good job for the client. Yeah. And you can, I mean, you can do it even yourself. Like you said, like you do it yourself and that's why tax software exists because look, like I don't know anybody. I've never met anybody except for when I was in college where you filled out tax forms by hand because oh. like they, they teach you this stuff like in the accounting school. Yeah. Like they make you fill out the tax forms and do the accounting like entries and all that stuff. When you take tax, uh, tax and undergraduate, um, like they actually made you fill out like an actual tax return for like information that was given to you about a client. You work for an accounting firm and hey, here you go. And you actually had to fill it out manually. Um, that was the final exam, actually. That was the final <laughs> exam for the for the federal tax level one in, in college. Um so like, you know, like, so that's the only time that you're going to do that, but it's because you're learning very specified knowledge for that current year, right? Because mm-hmm. like every year, like I said, so many things are changing. change. Yeah. Everything changes every year. Like, you know, even with the exams I'm taking for the EA, for the enrolled agent exam, once you pass the first exam, like I, I have already, you only have 18 months to pass the other two because then everything becomes null, null and invalid with information that you're trying to take the exams on because the IRS updates the exam every year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like it tricky you have a very short period of time to like under get learn the information understand it apply it and take the exam and pass yeah. it and then you have to jump right into like continuing education to continue to learn what the changes were from what you just studied for the prior year 
Uh, this is why we pay accountants. To All do in the love <laughs> of tax law, guys. That's what I do it for. I do. I do it for guts and glory. So. Well, I know. Uh, I, I I know. Talking for half an hour on taxes isn't uh, everyone's cup of tea. But what is there anything else I missed in terms of um, things that can affect individual taxation? Again, not from, from an, uh, we're talking about individual, not business taxes. Right. Um, anything that people should be aware of. Well, it might not be the cup of tea, but I take my coffee black and really strong. <laughs> Me too. Especially on a day after tax deadlines. Um, yes. The uh, anyways, you know, so those, those are the things that affect, uh, you know, income. It, it's, you know, what, what, what's really interesting too, is I talked to an individual who she was a contractor earlier in the year. Now they brought uh, her on internally as W-2. So she's earning W-2 income as an employee. I use the term W-2 and 1099 interchangeably between W-2 as an employee, 1099 as a contractor. I just use those interchangeably in the conversation. So everybody's trying to like keep up and follow up with what I'm trying to say. They might be getting confused, but um, those are interchangeable and they're one of the same. But, you know, one thing I was telling her was like, you know, hey, because you are, you were a 1099 contractor in the beginning part of the year, you didn't have any federal taxation withheld, right? Mm. So like, you know, one thing that's nice about this new update, this new change in the S4 form that we were talking about earlier was you can ask the government to take extra money out of your paycheck every two weeks, hmm. right? Or every month or whenever you get paid, right? So you can say, hey, Mr. Mr. Uncle Sam, um, like, I, I, like in this, this is the responsible thing to do as a taxpayer in the sense where like, you know that you didn't have federal taxation withheld and you know you've already earned income in the year and that's not being reported anywhere. The responsible thing to do is we pay, is, is paying what we call quarterly estimated payments, but that's more business type stuff we get in yeah. the conversation. But also, if you don't do that, the other thing is, if you do it halfway through the year, the responsible thing to do is also is um, to ask to have extra withholding on your paycheck every every month. So, mm-hmm. like you know, for example, this this lady, she's getting zero withhold, like zero uh, deductions, zero exemptions, all this stuff. And she's so she's getting the maximum withholding possible. And she's also considering adding more withholding into that paycheck just to make sure she keeps that. And that's really important to, to, to keep in mind. Another thing too, is I know a lot of people are changing jobs right now. Like if you're, uh, if you're an employee, you work for a company, you're making 60,000 a year. Great job. That's a great job to have, but now you got a job offer. You're going to make a hundred thousand, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say that you, you know, you did that and you made that change halfway through the year. It's going to be really important to make sure that your HR payroll department that you're moving that company to, gets the information for the amount of income that you have made, the amount of holding that's been done and any other benefits that you received during the same tax year. This only applies if you're changing within the tax year, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're changing jobs on December 31st and starting a new one on January 1st, this doesn't apply to you, but okay. 99.99% of people change jobs half of the year. I was going to so say, does, it, at some point between the year, the tax year, like <laughs> the year. <laughs> so like, you know, it's, you need to make sure that your other employer is, is, is having that information because if they don't, what they're going to do is they're going to assume that you like, they're going to assume you had no income during the whole year. So you're going to have mm. much less withholding again, going back to the effective tax rates and the marginal tax rates, mm-hmm. because if you start a new company at on July 1st, making 40,000 more a year than you were at the old job, you're going to start getting withholding again at 12% tax bracket, whatever the lowest tax bracket is. Right. So yeah. you're gonna have zero withholding. You're, you're gonna have uh, not zero. You're gonna have like very minimal withholding compared to where you should be. Yeah, getting withheld 
and you need to make sure that's that's on par. The other thing is there's something called earned income credits, which again depends on how you earn your income, your AGI, your adjusted gross income. Mm-hmm. Uh, those other things. And there are some items that do also affect your AGI. Your your adjusted gross income is kind of like your net income for the year. It's like your your income subject to taxation, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some items that affect what we call above the line, above the AGI line on the tax return, which is line eight or line 12 on your 1040 uh, federal individual form, which is uh, for tax year 2020, there was a special little thing where you could deduct $300 of charitable contributions. So like, you know, mm. charitable contributions, um, you know, are tax deductible. You can claim this on your taxes. Also, too, if you have retirement accounts, if you have a Roth mm-hmm. IRA or you have traditional IRAs or 401ks or SEP IRAs or whatever type of retirement account, you know, those also those items also affect your income, right? So like a traditional IRA is an above the line deduction. So like it reduces mm-hmm. your income above the AGI line. So you can max it out 6,000 a year for individuals. Depending on your AGI, if your AGI is too high, you go through a phase out bracket and then you eventually can't contribute, right? which is where we go into business though. We talk about SEP IRAs and those types of things. Um, But then there's also Roth IRAs, which are not above the line, but you, in a way, it's not really, we don't call it really a credit, but like it acts like a credit where if you max out the Roth contribution, it doesn't reduce your taxable income for the year because that's how Roth, how Mm -hmm. traditional works. But Roth is like, it's tax deferred, right? But you get a little bit of like a little bump, like a couple hundred dollars maybe um, that adjusts your income for the year for that. So like also retirement accounts affect that, all those types of things. But then also too, capital gain. And I'll, we, can, we can wrap up with this because then we can probably yeah. jump more into like the business stuff, but, cap, but, but uh, capital gain is something that you get from investment income, right? Mm-hmm. And capital gain is really important because there's two types of capital gain. There's something called short-term capital gain and there's long-term capital gain, okay? Short-term capital or short-term capital loss and long-term capital loss, right? Mm-hmm. I like talking about gains. So gains. Money, Let's right? talk about gains. I'm not talking about gains, guys. <laughs> Only gains. Um, but you have, the, you, have, you, have, you have those four types of, of capital taxation. Now, cap, short-term capital gains, short-term capital loss are taxed at standard income rates, right? At your marginal mm-hmm. tax rate for the year, for your, for your income. So that means if you hold an equity or you hold an asset or you hold something for one year or less, then it's taxed at standard income. But if you hold mm-hmm. it for one year or more, or more than one year, so a year plus a day, N plus one for the mm-hmm. math geeks out there, <laughs> um, you, and that's actually what the law says, it's like effectively N plus one is yeah. what they're saying in the tax law, is uh, it's taxed at preferential tax rates. Okay, So okay. preferential tax rates are either zero, uh, 10, or 15%, right? Okay. So that's kind of why you hear a lot of people talking about holding income for a long period of time, mm-hmm. because you know the longer you hold it, the usually you're going to have a, a positive. You're going to have a gain. The more time you're in the market, the more higher chance you can have a positive return on your investment. But also, too, those things are taxed at preferential tax rates, mm-hmm. right? So like you have you have those as well. And then there's like something too, like for very high income earners, there's a surplus tax on on income over $400,000. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just like it's like the um, Obamacare surplus tax that was in existence a few years ago. I believe it's still in existence. I don't think that sunset, but it's like three, it's like 2.8 or 3.8. It's one of those two uh, percent on top of for Medicare surplus tax. Because mm-hmm. when you are earning income, either from 
as a contractor, as an employee of your company or anything like that, your income for social security and Medicare tax caps out at like $128,000, I don't have the number in front of me, but it's in that ballpark and it's indexed for inflation every year. So that number keeps going up mm-hmm. every single year as well. And I guess just one last clarification on the uh, capital gains. Um, is that, let's say you open up a, a investment account, that's you, you're only taxed when you- When you sell. Eat, when you sell. Okay. So if you just have an investment account and you're just putting money in it and it's growing every year, you're not paying taxes until you sell. And right. it's either now, a gain if you or have, loss. If you have like dividends that get reinvested, mm-hmm. that, that changes things. Okay. Right. So dividends are considered to be held for long-term periods. Mm-hmm. So depending on the type of the investment account and how you have everything structured, you may or may not be subject to taxation on the dividends, even okay. though the dividends got reinvested. Okay. Because like the like the dividends or like distributions or reallocations or whatever like that, like like you know, because people do automated investing kind of like I do that, that sometimes. That's what I was, certain things. Yeah. And like, you know, you just, whenever they reallocate you or whatever, it's really important to understand what type of investment account it is. If it's like a standard investment account, you're going to get taxed, but if it's tax okay. beneficial or some, something that it could, it, you might not be subject to taxation on those things, but the dividends and distributions and those types of things are considered held for long periods of time. Okay. Um, so depending on the structure of the retirement account, you will or will not be subject to taxation on this. And those are generally really, really minimal. Got it. Whew. All right. Well, <laughs> I think we covered we covered quite a lot, yeah. and uh, I, I know we I know we do have an episode. One of our earlier episodes uh, was about uh, business tax and kind of mm-hmm. like different ideas. But I I, I do want to have um, kind of a similar conversation. Um, not how to reduce your tax taxable income, but like how to you know, how does self-employment change things, how to change the game. Um, So we will definitely follow up with that. Um, I don't have anything else to add. Thank you for taking the time to, to, to spew all of this off the top of your head. I I think everyone thinks I'm just waiting for a teleprompter right now. I'm just like, (laughs) Alex is in a tiny room with a a picture that looks like a duck, I think behind him. (laughs) Doesn't that look like a upside down duck? I, I, I don't know. Like it's, we're hanging out in Airbnb today. So um, we, we got, we got a little bit change of background today, but yeah. uh, thank you guys so yeah, much for no. listening. Uh, thank you so much for your continued support. Really appreciate you guys for listening. If you get value from this, please share this with your friends and family or anybody that you think that would get benefit from this. Uh, Declan and I have been talking a lot. We're rolling out a lot of stuff at the end of this year. And uh, we hope that you guys uh, are are getting excited for that. And also too, if you haven't already, please drop your email onto simplefiscal.com. That's simple F-I-S-C-A-L.com. And we're going to be giving whoever's on that list first, uh, first dibs at uh, what we're going to be dropping at the end of the year. And uh, thank you guys so much again for listening. It, it, again, if you're on a platform that lets you do any reviews as well, uh, one stars, five stars, I always say, I don't care. I, I love, I love the, I love the haters. I love the lovers just as much, uh, equally the same. So thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great rest of your week or have a great weekend whenever you're listening to this. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks.